Blog Talk Radio. I fight you, I fight myself, I fight God, just tell me how many burdens left, I fight pain and hurricanes, today I wept, I'm trying to fight back tears, flood on my doorstep, life a living hell, puddles of blood in the street, shooters on top of the building, government aid ain't relief, earthquake, the body drop, the ground breaks, the poor run with smoke lungs and scarred face, who need a hero, hero. you need a hero, look in the mirror, there go your hero, who on the front lines, the ground zero, hero. my heart don't skip a beat, even when hard times bumps the needle, mass destruction and mass corruption, the soul Suffering men, clutching on deaf ears again, rapture is coming, it's all prophecy, and if I gotta be sacrificed for the greater good, then that's what it gotta be. Man, that is a heavy song. All powers to oppressed people, African power to an African people, and black power. It's your brother and uh, host, Chairman Yanga and Kuma, People's Black Panther Party for Self-Determination, coming to you again on another Sunday, my Sunday. And I always love my Sundays, man. I, you know, um, I enjoy taking this opportunity to be with the people, to hear from the people, to uh, just share with them, you know, taking this time to just build and really vibe and get some good energy going. What the fuck does revolution look like? What the fuck does revolution look like? That's our topic for today. And anybody that knows me knows I go into this whole thing of why I pick these topics out. Well, one of the reasons that I picked this particular topic was um, at the People's Black Panther Party, we're looking to further uh, develop our propaganda department uh, to really put out there the message of the People Black Panther Party and to do all of these, you know, just to do what we do, to put out there, to show the people what we're doing and to try to encourage people to participate in their own self-determination. So uh, in doing that, I went back and began to try to re-enlist my old minister information, a brother Black son. The brother is genius when it comes to doing videos and things of this nature. He and I have worked together for, for like years, you know, so we just have this rapport and we really click 
when we do our, um, you know, our video thing. So got the brother, you know, was like, look, man, let's start it up. We found a place, looking at this place to go to. I said, let's go check it out. So we go over there and we go check it out and we get in a discussion with, uh, we're going to work in conjunction with another Panther formation because we're all about that. Remember, we're all about pushing the unity and the solidarity. And uh, in working with this Panther formation, of course, like when you work with any contemporary groups or revolutionary groups, ideology is going to be discussed. Your philosophies, your methods, the way that uh, you want to go about and empowering black people, some of the problems you think should take precedence and priority and things of this nature. And, man, I was so surprised to see that we, though professing to both be revolutionary organizations, had so vastly different views. So vastly different views. And it, you know, sent me to wondering, because I'm sitting here talking to, you know, comrades from another revolutionary formation, and the views are that vastly different. And these are people who are studious people. These are people who I would say, you know, for the most part, subscribe to, you know, revolution. I mean, we disagree in with some of what we're calling revolution or some of the practices. Uh, but for the most part, you know, at work having, after having known them for years and worked with them, I would say that they are revolutionary. I wouldn't have a problem with saying that, at least putting forth the best attempt to be that. But, you know, we were so... Uh, Man, just on different ends of it, we were polar opposites, man, complete north and south pole type of thing going on. So it had me thinking how many of our people, you know, who don't subscribe to revolutionary ideology, who don't belong to a progressive organization or group, you know, um, for the advancement and empowerment of African people, how many of them, you know, how different is our view of revolution, which is completing a seize of power, the change of better, to have better living conditions, how vastly different was our view from the masses of people? And I think that this is important to discuss and look at because there are certain words you can use that intimidate the people. Revolution being one of those words. What does this look like? What the fuck is a revolution? You know, you go to talking to some people, man, you go to talking about I'm a revolutionary, man, what the fuck is a revolution? We have allowed the oppressor to control the narrative so much of our participation in the revolutionary struggle that even us as black people come away believing the hype. You dig? We have allowed the oppressor to not only control the narrative, but to give it back to us. You know what I'm saying? Not only did he take the narrative, control the narrative, you know what I'm saying? He gave it back to us, and we bit into it. So now a lot of our revolutionary movements, a lot of our actions that we think are revolutionary are based off of our interpretation of the narrative given to us about our revolutionaries from the oppressor. And I, I hope you kind of caught what I was saying there. Let me try it again. A lot of the formations, Revolutionary formations now, in this day and time, have developed their strategies and tactics, their structures, based off of what they believe the third development or the original Black Panther Party did, you see, 
And a lot of their studies and what they're studying is coming from the oppressors because we didn't control the narrative. We will go, and if it doesn't come from the oppressor, what we will do because we don't do our homework, we will take somebody that says, uh, yo, I was in the Panthers in the third development, and they write a book, and we go read the book, and now that book is the gospel. We don't know if they were in good standing when they left the party. We don't know how party members feel about, you know, uh, these particular people that have taken the liberties to write books. We don't know if that's endorsed or what. So, you know, us jumping into the fray and coming out because we've read one or two books written by someone that was in that development, and now we're experts on it, and we know what revolution is and what revolution isn't, I think we have to be very careful. I think those are symptoms and signs of the effect of neocolonialism, arrogance. I'm Listen, I, I don't think there can be any more arrogant, anyone more arrogant than that European. I think that is an arrogant son of a gun. So, um, you have to pardon me. So we have to be careful not to adapt that, not to become arrogant, not to think that uh, our study is the sum total of what a revolution is going to look like or the solution to our problem. I mean, you know, it's just funny. That is very audacious. You really have to be a big head Fred. To think that in you know, our limited years of study, our few years of study, we have just, voila, come up with the magic solution to every problem that black people face here in America. It's just not factual. And understanding, and the way that you know this is not factual, if you knew anything, then you would know that black people are not a monolithic people. We are a diverse people. Therefore, solutions are going to be found in every aspect and angle uh, every nook and cranny of the black experience. Nothing should be discounted. This is the way of a revolutionary. Nothing should be discounted. So what does revolution look like? What the fuck does revolution look like? Does it look like guns? Does it look like blood? You know, and I love, you, listen, in the discussion, um, you know, it kept coming up. You know, we love to quote my brother Malcolm. I love me some Malcolm. You know, but we love to quote Malcolm in the various aspects and stages of his life. And I think that when you quote someone and you don't quote it in the proper context, man, you have to be careful because that's almost like lying on that person. You know, if you go back and quote something I said 20 years ago, but don't quote it in the context of the state that it was said, my state of being as opposed to where I am now, it's almost like lying. But you said 20 years ago, yeah, I did. But I mean, you know, 20, 20 years ago, I was 27. You know, 47 now, you really going back there? So my revolution at 27 looked different from my revolution at 47. I understand at 27, I was waiting on a revolution. At 27, I was waiting for it to jump off. Why? Because my revolution looked like bloodshed, gunshots, brothers running in the streets with berets and bandoliers with shotgun shells in them. You know, it was some real... Uh, uh, not, it was some real Pancho Villa type of, you know what I'm saying? Yo, this is how, yeah. So I'm waiting on the revolution. I'm training, I'm getting, you know, doing what I got to do, waiting on this moment. Now, as I'm older and have lived through the years, I realize I was in the revolution. The revolution has been continuous. The revolution began when the first shackle was slapped onto that free African. When that free man or free woman were enslaved, then the revolution began then. You see, 
So when we ask ourselves, what does the revolution look like? Get away from the fanciful and understand the everyday practical that the revolution looks like now. Looks like now. What does the revolutionary want? What does the revolutionary want? What does the revolutionary want, they ask? The revolutionary wants power. The revolution is about seizing power, seizing power. This is what the revolution is about. And once we begin to understand that it's about seizing power, then we ask ourselves, what do we want to seize power for? We want to seize power to enhance the quality of life. This is what the revolution looks like. We want to seize power to enhance the quality of life, not to oppress anyone, not to murder anyone, not to hate anyone, people, uh, or anything like that. This is not why we want power. We want power because we have seen what has happened when power lies in the hands of other people especially when it comes to determining our destiny. It comes to determining our future, what's good for us and what isn't good for us. So we're saying we want power over ourselves. We're going to practice, we demand, we will fight for, and we will uh, practice self-determination, the right to, uh, to defy ourselves and the right to develop naturally without outside influences, hindrance, and obstructions. This is what the revolution looks like. So the revolution when we say, what does the revolution look like? We have to say that the revolution looks like now, which means the revolution has begun in you. If the revolution is about seizing power, if the revolution is about seizing control, then you must control yourself. It starts with you. You must seize the power of self. You have to begin a resistance movement in yourself to begin to resist those things that call you to be other than your true revolutionary self. Whatever it is calls you to be other than your true revolutionary self. What is the revolution? But first, in order to be your true revolutionary self, you have to know what the revolutionary is. You have to be revolutionized. Holla, black Louia. <laughs> you have to be revolutionized. You have to be washed and new. Your mind has to be cleansed. Your habits have to be purified. Your body has to be tempered and disciplined. This is to develop a uh, quieting of the spirit, a stillness of the soul to be able to hear revolution. We talk about, let me tell you who I use as a prime example of that, and I talked about that a little bit earlier in my live, because we talk about what the revolution looks like. What the fuck does a revolution look like? This is what we're talking about tonight. I'm your brother, Chairman Yang and Kuma, People's Black Panther Party for Self-Determination. You're listening to independent blog talk radio, as independent as it can be on somebody else's, you know, network. But we're here, free thoughts, free speech. Listen, this is your platform. If you want to say something, press 1. We'll recognize you, and let's get into some dialogue. Let's talk about it. What does it look like? What does the revolution look like to you? But talking about uh, the revolution, when we talk about, you know, what, if, what does revolution look like? What does a revolutionary type look like? Let me, here, let me give you a prime example of a, I mean, a revolutionary type to me is Brother Al-Haz Malik Shabazz, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. May Allah uh, have mercy upon him and give him the highest level of heaven. Brother Malcolm X, Al-Haz Malik Shabazz, more commonly referred to as Dear Brother Malcolm X. Why is this such a good example of a revolutionary type participating in, a, in the uh, uh, black revolution here in America. Because 
Brother Malcolm was such a man that he spoke to all of us. Even not audibly, not verbally, his existence, his walk, it spoke to all of us. Let's examine uh, idea, brother Malcolm. Malcolm was from the Lumpen. Malcolm was in the hustling class. Malcolm had been in there. Malcolm was in the street. Malcolm so dope. Malcolm said he pimped women. You know what I'm saying? Malcolm did his fizzle, as we used to say. You know, so Malcolm was out there, and being exposed out there, it's like why well, I deal with the Lumpen now because I I believe like. Um, you know, um, Huey picked up on and Dr. Francois Nolan talked about the revolutionary potential in the lumpen. The lumpen is that hustler, that under the working class, the revolutionary potential in he or her because of their already exposure to the harshness of reality, to the harshness uh, of the system, to the they are the lumpen, we are, they are the um, casualties of a capitalist system. They are the casualties of a capitalist system. So they're already submerged in revolutionary conditions, being conditioned the, uh, due to the system and the way the system exists and set up as it is now, uh, begins to, you know, it's creating these conditions that already foster these young men. Police are already killing them. They're already discriminated against. You know what I'm saying? Unemployment is low. The... Uh, Lack of they're on the outskirts, they're outcasts, they're outlaws. Phil, Ma- Phil Marshall George Jackson said that the revolutionary must come to grips with being an outlaw. So they're already outlaws. They're already against these laws. So they're already in these conditions. So Malcolm was in these conditions, the lumpy condition. And just like a lot of lumpens, when you hit rock bottom, and you realize that this way doesn't work for you, that this is not, you know, beneficial, this is not advantageous, you begin to search for another way. And for a lot of African people, this is why I say Malcolm is relative to us, relative to us. Hear me when I'm telling our revolutionary story. When I talk about controlling that narrative, this is what I'm talking about. How does Malcolm relate to you specifically? He's from you. He is yours. Dear Brother Malcolm is yours, he's mine, he's ours. So how does he relate to us? I tell you. Once, like a lot of us, when we hit rock bottom, when we can't go any lower, when it's like, ah, a lot of us seek God. Come on. I mean, we just came into 21. It's your boy. I'm your chairman, but I'm also your friend. I'm your comrade. I'm you. I've been there. A lot of us seek God. And since We've never really had a relationship to God with God when we were out there hustling, when we were out there doing only God knows what against our people, against our very souls, against our communities and everything else that was right and exact. Since we were out there doing that, we didn't cultivate and develop a relationship with God. So how do you get to know someone that you really have never been introduced to properly? You what? Search for proper introductions. And the proper introductions for a lot of us is religion. That's all it is. Religion for a lot of us is a proper introduction to God. And this is what Malcolm did. He hit rock bottom. He went to prison. He was down at his neck. He got religion. And his found God found that peace of mind he was looking for because that's all God is to a lot of us, that peace of mind. Wait, God is love. God is peace. God is all of these things that give us, uh, that increase, whether they call them the amorphine or whatever, the, 
the things that make you feel good. You know what I'm talking about. It increases those. You understand? So religion became his vehicle. See, all of this is still revolution. Huh? Remember, the revolution started when the first shackles were slapped on us. So this development, this natural evolution of a black man that is so common to black people throughout America is a part of revolutionary development through revolutionary struggle. And this is what made a revolutionary type in Brother Malcolm. All of this went into it. So you can't take it. This is what kills us. We want to get on these, um, you know, we get on this tip where we, uh, we get on this tip where we, uh, where we begin to get some information and some knowledge, you know, and we get that information and that knowledge, then it's like, what led us to that doesn't exist. You know what I'm saying? What led us to that doesn't exist. But we have to remember what we came from. We have to remember what we came from. You know, uh, and that's and what went into the makeup of getting, pardon me, I'm trying to multitask. What went into the makeup of getting us to where we're at, to, you know, taking on these so-called conscious names and becoming uh, so just knowledgeable about our history and trying to live right and exact. A lot of that came from being that lumping, you know, being out there in that hustle and then going through religion. So this is what Malcolm did. He got religion. Okay, I don't want to digress too much. We were talking about what the revolution looks like, a revolutionary type. So when Malcolm got to religion, what did the religion do for Malcolm? The religion began to discipline Malcolm. The religion allowed Malcolm, especially when he came home, coming home from prison, you know, you're being overwhelmed by a lot of things. Religion allowed him a discipline. It gave him a structure. It allowed him to quiet his mind. It allowed him to steal his soul. It allowed him to temper his body. His diet had him, you know, feeling that he wasn't, you sluggish and sluggish. The religion gave him structure. The religion gave him structure. This is why I say I don't knock religion. This is what we talk about. When we talk about ideology, one of the components of a healthy ideology has to be a realistic, historical, uh, not just record, but a historical, uh, I want to say dialect, a historical attachment, a real analytical look at the history of the people that we're discussing. You know what I'm saying? So we have to really look at our history and be real about our history. And religion had played a very big role in our development. A lot of our revolutionaries were religious, religious people. One that jumped off the top of my head is Nat Tubner, let alone Harriet Tubman and other people. A lot, So it played in our development. Am I saying run out and join a religion now? No. I know someone to come back and say, Chairman Yang was so crazy. You talking about religion on the radio. No. It's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is looking at everything realistically, how uh, it, it went into affecting our development and cultivating us. So our brother Malcolm gets this religion, and he, you know, he cleans himself up. He begins to what? Revolutionize itself. Remember, revolution is about seizing power. He begins to seize self-control. He begins to empower himself. So now once he's empowered, once he's feeling empowered, once he's controlled, for the most part, uh, the, the, the lower desires, the lasciviousness, you know, that lower uh, 
um, those lower urges, once he's controlled that, he says, okay, the problem is no longer me. I'm religious. I do X, I do A, B, and C. I do, I'm literally religious. I have a ritualistic way I do things at a time of day, a certain amount and everything. I do it religiously. I am religious. So, therefore, some of these problems affecting me as a black man and affecting my people can't be religious problems. You see, once he cleaned himself up, he said, okay, it has to be a little more than just a religious problem because I'm clean. It's not me. So, and the problem still exists for my people. Where is the problem coming from? So, do we see the steps? Hustler to religious man. Now, we're about to go into another phase. In order to religion contains elements of revolution. And the religion he chose, praise Allah <laughs> for, for him, was a Islam that was a black nationalist Islam. It was a black man's Islam. So, but even with that and his adherence to that and his contributing greatly to that and being a devotee, a very loyal follower uh, uh, of that, I don't care what nobody says about it. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't there, but just when I said that the man seemed to be loyal. Um, to be a loyal follower of that and then still know that something is not quite right. So he begins to look to see where the problem's coming from, and he discovered the problem is political, social, economic. Has to be. Because I've checked my morals and ethics, I'm religious. I don't fornicate, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't do all that, I don't use profanity. My morals and ethics are in check. Why am I still faced with the same problems? It's political, social, economic. Huh? It's political, social, economic. We're talking revolution here. And when he realized that it was that, he realized that religion only touches on those things. You know, they only touch on those things but they didn't address those things specifically. They didn't have an answer for those things specifically, especially when you're talking about moving the masses of people. And that's what we're talking about. They say, well, you got, you know, you have some people, even Muslims, oh, you got the answers, they got the answers. It has the answer for you to set up a community for yourself. But how do you uh, interact with other people in your economic program, the Sharia, the whatever, how does that affect other people? See, religion is incumbent upon people believing as you believe. This is what Malcolm realized. He's had love for black people, and everybody wasn't accepting the black Muslims. Everybody wasn't going to be no damn black Muslim. Bottom line. So Malcolm understood that. So what did he go into? Good thing that the black Muslims and him being a Garveyite was into some identity of self, black awareness, black nationalism. I'm sure uh, Martin and all, uh, Martin, <laughs> excuse me, Malcolm and all his readings and studies had run across the likes of, and the writings of the great Martin Delaney, whom I like to call the forefather of black nationalism here in America. I'm sure he had run across those, uh, these people, and he realized since religion isn't doing it, black nationalism has to be the answer. Black nationalism has to be the answer. I see what integration is getting us. You know, I'm Martin is my uh, my peer, my contemporary. We're in the same era, and I see him getting his ass whooped, and I'm not. So that's not even a pilling route. 
So that integration, assimilation, this route, that's not going to be the route I take. Black nationalism, separation, independence, self-determination, doing for self. Yeah, that's the road. So we see him go from religion to a black nationalist, political, political activist. This is still, again, the journey of revolution and what the revolutionary type looks like. But that wasn't fulfilling enough. See, this is why I believe the spirituality and revolution do tie and go hand in hand, because that wasn't fulfilling enough. It was something uh, he still knew that was missing. There was a missing piece. And in his travels to Africa and making his Hajj in Mecca, the missing piece hit him, and that missing piece was spirituality. They said, oh, no, brother, he went over there and he accepted Orthodox Islam and, you know, uh, and that's what he found out about. I was like, man, come on. First of all, we're talking about, man, you, do you really think he didn't know about Sunni Islam when he was in the nation of Islam? Oh, how misinformed. He knew about that. He knew about that. And compared to the nation of Islam, listen, I'm going to give nation, but compared to the nation of Islam, man, them Sunnis, like, boy, I'm going to have Sunnis looking for me. They like on some jokes, though. The nation ain't no joke when it comes to discipline and training. So his going to Sunni Islam after coming, after being a lead minister in the nation, wasn't a problem. Not a problem. That didn't wake him up. So what did he find? He found spirituality. He had the discipline. He, I'm sure he knew about the man was intelligent. So he had the knowledge. But he found the spiritualism in what? The humanity. It wasn't so much he was fascinated by, oh, he's a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Muslim. He was fascinated that this cracker was sitting with this nigger, as they would be classified in America, but they were sitting together, eating out the same dish, touching hands. You got to remember the era he's coming from. Well, we in the 60s? This Negro is actually touching fingers, licked his fingers, licked his black, pork-ass, black, or booty like he's a cracker. His big, beautiful black fingers, licked them big sausage jokers, reached in the rice bowl, got him some, touched the hand of a blonde-haired, blue-eyed man, and nobody flinched. He was like, whoa, that had to be a shocker. Coming from what you're coming. So he saw spirituality. And in that spirituality, this we're talking revolution here. In that spirituality, in that moment of clarity, he elevated our struggle. Why? He came back to America. Everybody, oh, he came back to Orthodox Muslim. Cool. I ain't no problem with that. You shouldn't have a problem with that. He didn't come back an Arab nationalist, though. This is what you should thank God for. He didn't come back from a, yes, I hate, have your woman cover from head to toe. No different. Listen, you, hey, I'm, I'm a Muslim sometimes. <laughs> I'm having fun tonight, y'all. Yo, you just got to bear with me. All praises do, though, you know. But I hear to the, some tenements of Islam. I hear to the tenements of Islam and the science of Islam. I'm not even going to front. I hear to the tenements of Islam, science of Islam. And this brother didn't come back saying the sisters had to cover from here to there, that the brothers had to speak this way or that way. He didn't abandon our struggle at all. He didn't abandon the struggle at all. 
He came back and still promoted black nationalism. The only difference was he elevated to revolutionary status. He became a revolutionary black nationalist when he became a spiritualist because he said, our struggle is no longer just a civil rights struggle. It is a human rights struggle. Huh? Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Man. He said, our struggle is not just a domestic struggle. It is an international problem. That genocide is occurring to us. It's happening to us. They're killing us. They're killing us in the South, blatantly. They were just hanging us. It's, nothing has changed. They're killing us. So the spirituality, the revolution, we're talking about this revolutionary journey and process and how that spirituality, when he saw this act of humanity between two human beings, that there really was a state of existence where um, race didn't play a factor. I ain't going to say race don't matter. I'm going to say at that particular point in time, maybe that was just at that moment for a lot. Maybe that never really played out like Malcolm thought it played out. Maybe that's what you call a, a, a Paul having a, 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 on the road to Damascus experience. Maybe Malcolm saw it like that and said, wow, human beings didn't elevate our struggle. Whatever he did, we thank him for that because he brought it to the world. The plight of 22, 23, 24 million black Africans here in America. He brought it to the world. He could have just simply hid it to his religious thing, but he came back and he still fought black nationalism. This is what we're talking about and became a revolutionary black nationalist, and not just a revolutionary black nationalist, going over there and going to Africa and speaking to the uh, leaders and the common men and women in Africa and representing us, and what a great job Brother Malcolm did. I had an opportunity to read the FBI files on Malcolm X, and one of the things that this uh, agent said was that Malcolm X has set our foreign policy back 20 years. He went over there rapping so hard about the conditions of black people. Man, them countries was looking at America. They were like, whoa, it's going down like that. And I was like, yeah, hell yeah. So this is what I made our dear brother Malcolm dangerous. Malcolm had elevated struggle, but it took a certain spirituality. It took a willingness to elevate uh, the struggle despite who laughed at you. He was pioneering some stuff at that time. Malcolm was pioneering some things because this is what a revolutionary does. When a revolutionary is committed, whether he or her committed to the revolution, which is the empowerment, uplifting, advancement of African people, then the revolutionary begins to modify and change things that are not uh, advantageous to them. And the serious, the more serious the revolution, the more serious the change, the swifter the change. I'm, I'm sorry. Listen, I wish I had cushy words to say that it was some other way. That, oh, no, no, no. It's the more serious the revolution, the uh, bigger the changes. You begin to eliminate those things that are counterproductive and counterrevolutionary. You begin to watch your thought pattern. This is what the revolution looks like. Listen, don't get caught up in the fanciful. I'm not saying don't put in your work and do your work and go out and pay your dues and community service. All of those things are necessary. What I am saying is this. Don't get caught up in the fanciful. Don't allow it to be escapism that you go out some kind of way to appease your little conscience because you go out and... Uh, you didn't gave a, a ham sandwich away. No, no, you know, not knocking your efforts. 
but you gave a ham sandwich away, and you didn't appease your conscience for 60 days because you feed once every 60 days. Don't be that person. It has to be continuous in our service, in our personal life, in our walk. It should be reflected in our diet, in our practices. And my mouth is closer to my ears, but it should all be reflected in those things and in the choices that we make. Then we'll know what revolution begins to look like. And to then, we'll never know what revolution looks like because we're in a revolution now. The revolution is going down now. We're trying to seize power now, man. And I'm not talking about state power right now. I'm not talking about government power right now. I'm talking about training yourself to be a revolutionary type to participate in some form of revolution. You Negroes can't boycott two days. You can't stay away from your favorite thing for 24 hours. That's a challenge. Just challenge yourself. Now, I, I'm not going to knock us because we're an amazing people. I think I'm saying it like that because I'm always amazed at uh, how naive we behave or how immature or how foolish we behave like we don't know what's going on and we're some of the hippest people on the planet. You know what I'm saying? We're some of the hippest people on the planet, but we act like we don't know what's going on. We turn a blind eye. We contribute to a lot of our destruction, to a lot of our demise by just not simply standing up. And sometimes that's all it takes. It just takes somebody to stand up, do the right damn thing, you know. But until we get, you know, until we get to that point, we... That's gonna be that's gonna be the struggle, you know. So we won't know what the revolution looks like. We'll always continue to glamorize it. We'll always continue to uh, romanticize the revolution without going into it realistically and practically. That is the message. Like I said, I was talking to the comrades today. They were all over. What we need to do? Everybody need to quit their fucking jobs. Everybody need to just this. this. I mean, just very unrealistic, frustrated, angry. Uh, brothers and sisters, and I understand your anger. I feel your pain. Your pain's my pain. We're not two different people. Even if we disagree in methods, we're not two different people. Your pain is my pain. But allow me right now, while your pain is, has a hold of you, while you're caught in the grist of your pain, you can't see clearly because your pain has you, allow me to take the wheel a little bit. Hear me out a little bit. I'm not even saying we have to go along with the whole idea. I'm just saying be cool enough to hear me out right now because what you're proposing is an action out of pain. And that's all I heard. That's why I was like, you know, what the fuck does the revolution? I asked them, what the fuck does the revolution look like? You know what I'm saying? You tell me then. You're not a revolutionary, brother. You're a capitalist. One of the things happened, us putting on the show, we have the cameras, we have all of these things. So we're talking about uh, going into production. The People's Black Panther Party wants to go into production, and people like to do their little thing, and, you know, they just went in on us. Yo, it should be free. Everything's a price. Everything chart, but, man, we got to plug up. We need electricity. I mean, just practically. I mean, just, yo, really. I'm like, are we even having this conversation? You know what I'm saying? Nothing is free. That's one-on-one. So in our best and zeal to give so much to the people. So, you know, one of the days we went, I said, I don't know if I could make that day. You know what I'm saying? I it, don't even be in Atlanta like that. I'm out in the country and stuff, so I don't even know 
if uh, I'll be able to make it. You know, and then it, it, I was told, uh, well, you ain't a real revolutionary, how you and them, you know, how people sacrifice you, this and that. And, and then she said, well, let me ask you a question, brother. What if I said I had a million dollars? You talk about you might have to work. What if I said I had a million dollars? Would you show up? I said, absolutely. Show up a day early. You're a capitalist. I said, I don't understand how. <laughs> Maybe you're going to explain it. But that was the whole thing. It's about compensation. It's about funding. It's about being realistic. It's about developing an economic. What does the revolution look like? What does your revolution look like to you? What do you want to revolutionize? Like I said, the revolution is about what? Seizing power. Never forget that. The revolution is about seizing power. It is about the seizure of power. That's it. And why do we want to seize power to, uh, for better living conditions, the betterment of life, um, to better the, the conditions of life? Seize power. And that starts with you. Master yourself. Revolutionary, don't get caught up in this hype shit. Don't get in this angry shit to where you're not, we're not thinking productive. The conversation was all over the place. We, so we went from economics, then we went to talking about, you know, and I know they were coming. I'm very political, and I'm known for that down here. So it went to me, yeah, you old Mr. Political Politic want to vote, and you want to vote for Barack. And I've never told anybody to vote for Barack, but you know how sarcasm is. You know, sarcasm is, what is it, cynicism. You know how that goes. So it was cool. But, you know, uh, we say that, and then in the same breath, we're talking about some actions she took and, you know, how she did some things and certain rights that they have. It's amazing how you can hate politics on the one hand, and then when the pig rolls up on you or the state rolls up on you, you're sitting here spitting legalese. It's, it's amazing. Things like this, I think, are confusing to the people. This is why, yo, we have to be focused. You have to know um, – what the revolution looks like, so you so you will know what direction to take, so that we're not sidetracked, so that not, we're not led astray, or not, that we're not easily distracted by uh, glitz and glitter. It's going to take the work. What are you doing right now in your household to begin to revolutionize yourself? What are you doing right now in your neighborhood that revolution that begins to revolutionize your neighborhood? even if it starts with community activism. See, we can't let people, oh, that's the reformist, that's the act, that's all, a revolution is, a revolutionary is all of those things. Now, the community activist, activist isn't always a revolutionary, but the revolutionary is always a community activist. So what are you doing to revolutionize? If it's nothing but, you know, getting you and somebody and picking up trash in front of two or three houses, I don't know. Become active. Become active. Participate. Go to different meetings. Go to an NAACP meeting. Go to a Nation of Islam meeting. I don't know. Become active. Get in the habit of revolutionizing. This is what's called revolutionizing. You're not going to support If you've never been exposed to anything, you're not going to jump in there. It's unrealistic. You know, these we, we get these people, and I'm just, going, yeah, I'm just rapping a little bit, and I'm not calling any names. It's just what it is that sign up for the Panthers, they get their BDUs, they get their berets, and you got these formations that stick them out there. And there's been no political training. What are they doing? 
What did it? What, what what do you really have them doing? What is the purpose? You didn't gave title revolutionary, revolutionary. Give them a uniform and what? Most of the studies aren't coordinated studies. Most of the time in those formations, like I was when I was in them, they're lone studies. We didn't have a study group. Um, you know, a lot of times you just flying by the seat of your pants. You see, so training is essential. It's imperative to begin to know what direction you want to take. But in order to train yourself, training is more than just sitting there reading a book. You have to get out and get involved and be active. If there's a soup kitchen and you're capable of once a month or whatever volunteering at the soup kitchen or anywhere, reading the children at the library, I don't care, begin to get used to being attached to people and being active for the people and with the people. That's a, a tolerance that has to be built up. Believe me, you, it's a tolerance that has to be built up. It's a muscle that has to be flexed and honed. So it's going to take work. This is what the revolution looks like. What I'm hoping that this did, this wasn't fanciful. I didn't get up there on no preaching. I just was kind of rapping to us today because what I'm trying to do is keep it real to pull us up out of that bullshit. The time is at hand, man. It's real. It's always been real, real, but it is more so real because you know, the things that the things happening to us have always been happening to us. Just now we have an administration that fosters a certain environment that emboldens a certain type of people, whether it's deliberate or not. I don't know. I'm not talking about that point now, but I'm just saying that the administration's uh, being fosters a certain sentiment and emboldens certain actions towards us, period, and we got to know that shit. That's real. So when knowing that, then we know um, what the revolution looks like. We know that we're in a revolution. So not only do we take proper measures and precautions to protect ourselves physically, mentally, spiritually, whatever it is in the, in the now, you know what I'm saying, but we have to begin to develop ourselves to create the institutions that will be an inoculation, that will begin to insulate us from, you know, attacks in the future. This is how you start to develop the independence. This is what they call it when they get them, you know, you, you, you got to inoculate yourself from this germ. And it starts with us. We have to begin to rid this germ and hope that what we rid out of ourselves of things that aren't productive and that aren't um, revolutionary, that what we begin to rid out of ourselves, our children will not have anymore because they've seen us um, rid ourselves of it and that they, so that's one less problem they have and they, that they themselves will adapt the resistance philosophy and begin to rid, rid themselves of things that are counterproductive, counterrevolutionary. You know, and remember when we talk about revolutionary, revolutionary is about seizing power, but what is the uh, concepts and the content that go into making revolutionary? One of them is humanitarianism. Humanitarianism. So in that going into um, what the revolution looks like, creating the revolutionary type, having a revolutionary mindset, is that not only must your act, not only should the revolutionary black nationalist actions be for what is the best interest of them specifically, particularly them 
first and foremost, priority, priority one, priority one, priority two, three, and four. But at the same time, it should be as free from inflicting harm on humanity as possible. Real shit. The revolutionary must be an ecologist, got to be an animal. You got to, you know, you can't be a murderer and be a revolutionary. You can't be. You've had murderers fighting the revolution, and I'm sure to what some people would like to uh, label uh, uh, so-and-so was a murderer, but like I tell you, we talk about people controlling our narrative. You know, one man's murder is another man's freedom fighter. So, you know, I'd have to know the context in which um, whatever person you would be talking about. But I know gen- genuinely, generally, um, when you find revolutionaries, though the act, some acts may have been bloody, some acts may have been what it's done birthed out of a love for a people. It's birthed out of the love for liberation. It's birthed out of the love for uh, uh, and a yearning for freedom from tyrannical rule, from oppression, from these type of things. You, you see, this is why I ask, what does our revolution look like? Because we're talking to a people who have never been free. You've never been free. You've been given the illusion that you were free, but you've never been free. None of your, none of your whole life. So what does this revolution look like to you? What is this, you know, what is this freedom? This is why they, this is how they play us, even when they trivialize the word revolution. He revolutioned the glass, glass what is it? Uh, uh, I see something I was thinking about one day, the glass cleaner, Windex or something. They revolutionized glass cleaning. Okay. Burger King got an impossible vegan burger takes like the Whopper. They've revolutionized vegetarian burgers. <laughs> so they trivialize the word revolution. To, and that's, it's laughable, but that is a huge thing when you're dealing with a domesticated people. When you're dealing with a people who have never been free, when you're dealing with a people who's struggling to grasp the concept of revolution, to maintain some revolutionary momentum, to inspire people to participate in a revolution in an attempt at seizure of power to better the conditions of their lives, to control their own destiny. You know, trivializing revolution really has a major effect. You know, it really has a major effect. So that's the question. You know, you know, I do my hour coming down to our last 10, but that's what I'm posing, uh, last 10 minutes rather, uh, but that's what I'm lo- posing to the people. What does the revolution look like? You know what I'm saying? What does the revolution look like? And, and, and think about that. But the first thing that I want you to think about when you think about what the revolution looks like, uh, some of the solutions to the problems we face as revolutionaries, I want you to um, – I want you to – you know what? That's a show. I'm, I'm going to have to do a show and we go into – um, ideology, but I want you when we're talking about the revolution, I want you to begin with yourself. You know, I want you to begin with yourself. I'm gonna give you an assignment like I'm always getting to journal. Write it down, man. Get your journal. Write it down. What does a revolutionized you look like? Real talk. Do this assignment. What does a revolutionized you look like? What is that counterproductive, counterrevolutionary thing? that we, you need to give up in your life, whether it's action, speech, or deeds. You ain't got to make a whole list if you don't want to, but do three. 
that you know are from the effects of neocolonialism, that you know hinder and hold you up? What are those three things that you have to work on as a revolutionary? Whether it's negative thoughts about uh, oppressed people, African people, black people, I have to work on sometimes my, 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 uh, as a revolutionary, my brown, black and brown relationships. I'm very biased when it comes to that. Very biased. You know, and sometimes I could give two fine flips about what I call an amigo. And then other times, you know, I'm sitting there watching Snatch Day Children. I'm like, damn, that is messed up. And then I get to flip on that with defaction and snatching our babies for years. Ain't nobody be crying. You know, so I go through the whole ambivalence, the whole confusion thing. This is what it, you know. So I, that would be one of the things I like to give up, confusion, ambivalence. I like to stop being confused about the issue, stick to the issue. Either I'm going to rock with it or I'm not going to rock with it. So what do you think as a revolutionary? That's one of the things we're doing. Then we'll talk about other things because then after that, I'm challenging you to once a month or whatever, um, go out to a meeting. If you don't go out to a meeting, you know, have one or two people over to your, your house and discuss a good topic. Let's create the momentum. Let's get the spark going. We got to get too many, you know, the movies have hurt us bad. We're waiting for I've been too many times we sitting around waiting for a damn event. The revolution about to come, like it's going, you know, a spaceship's going to come out of the sky, like Independence Day, a big missile's going to come off. You know, white boys going to just all of a sudden flood the streets with uh, Dixie flags, or the, the government's all of a sudden going to, uh, you know, march in and just overnight. You know what I'm saying? It's so many. We got to get out of this movie stuff. The revolution is a process, not an event. It ain't going to happen. By the time they start moving the troops in, a lot of it's a done dotted. They ain't already disarmed, shot, killed. They sent in the police already in waves. So a lot of that, would you waiting on just the big uh, trumpet? Were you waiting on the black Gabriel to blow the revolutionary trumpet? You niggas. But anyway, let me, because uh, <laughs> really, I mean, it's just, boy, you niggas. So my people, my people, what I'm hoping that we can do, though, is come together, be real. I'm just coming like this. I had a long day, like I said, trying to get the studio. We're trying to get back on the air. People was like, Panther Party trying to come at you. And I just had a long day dealing with some of my brothers and sisters. And I have done everything under the sun uh, for disagreeing. I have heard some of, in my opinion, of course, some of the most preposterous proposals for revolutionary actions that you want to hear. Some I wouldn't even damn repeat. Not for fear of any reprisals. I ain't scared of no damn police or nothing like that. I wouldn't repeat because I don't want y'all laughing at me. Shit was that ridiculous. I don't want you guys to laugh at me. So we have our work to do. And the only way to really get a, 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 a pulse, to get a beat on it, is to get out there. You got to get out there. You got to talk to people. You got to figure out where we're at so we'll know how to approach it some of the best avenues to start in, uh, and some of the best actions to take. With that, listen, man, I'm going to leave you as I found you, my dear brothers and sisters. And I thank everyone for spending their Sunday with us, People's Black Panther Party for Self-Determination. You can check us out, man. Check our page out, People's Black Panther Party. Come, you know, like it if you're interested. And uh, possibly checking out the party and then being a membership, I always recommend people to reach us through the page. 
you know, I very rarely check my personal thing like that, you know. But um, leave us, hit us through the page or whatever, and hit us and let us know. We'll get a representative to get with you, someone to get with you, and you can check us out. Like my advice with any people going to the formation, join a formation, but always do your research. When you're doing a formation, make sure it's a good fit, but join something. Get out there and be active. So with that, I'm going to leave everyone as I greet them. That's with all powers to the uh, people, black power to black, uh, all powers to oppressed people, African power to an African people and black power.